0: Hey everybody, James Arnold Taylor here, and you are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Obi Wan Kenobi has a good feeling about this.
1: Yeah, but doo do, Fred Flintstone too, and Ratchets. Well, he's just me. Have
0: you ever been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. Well, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser disks high death TV.
1: You are listening to the great big, beautiful podcast this week on the show. Uh the future stuff is all the time all the time. I'll get it like, so what happens in eight, or does this happen in eight? Like I'm not I'm not gonna tell you. And also, <laughs> you really don't want to know like you don't want to know what happens in the movie by some guy tweeting it to you a year before (laughs) the movie comes out it's like this isn't the way you want to know these things uh the odd thing too is like so that'll be like long-term future like you know because like these movies are are years away or whatever but then sometimes it'll be like the rebels episode that airs you know in less than 24 hours (laughs) someone will ask me a question about just wait um, (laughs) just wait Here are your hosts jamie green and justin connors i don't
0: even know where to begin let's talk, rogue rogue soon, right? let's, let's talk about
1: rogue one it's <laughs> coming out pretty soon right let's
0: talk about rogue one yeah that's how we should start okay you can tell we're the utmost of prepared let's talk about rogue one let's do it
2: let's, let's talk rogue one so it's, we're coming down to like just a couple weeks now which is kind yeah. of hard to believe are you going opening night well tickets haven't gone sale yet yeah. um know as we're talking um i'm planning to i'm probably gonna go to whatever if they do like a midnight or a 10 p.m or whatever i haven't heard anything about a marathon i doubt they're gonna do anything i don't (laughs) think that i could sit through a marathon again quite honestly i did that for force awakens and it was a a day of my life that i will not get back um it was fun but i don't think i could do it every year for every new star wars movie why not (laughs) We'll see if they do it next year for episode eight. Maybe, maybe, I, my, maybe by then it'll have been two years.
0: Maybe if they cut out like the Phantom Menace or
2: <laughs> Yeah, you know it was funny because they and they did it it started at like one in the morning. Right. So like the prequels were all in the middle of the night, so a lot of people just slept through them. Well, you know, what I had realized as I was sitting through them is that I had only ever seen episode three once before. Right. I saw it in the theater. I was living in China. so I, I saw it in Shanghai when it was first released. So I saw it in the theater and that was it. I'd only ever seen it that one time. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think I ever owned it on DVD. Like I just never bought it. So during the marathon last year before Force Awakens was only the second time I'd ever seen Revenge of the Sith. And, you know, I mean, its reputation as the best of the prequels is fair. It is the best of the prequels. Right. Um, It definitely. I mean, it has some pretty awesome moments, but Um, So all of this to say I I don't think that there will be a marathon this year If they do one next year I could maybe be convinced Because it'll have been two years since I did it before Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, we're talking like eight movies I gotta sit through at that point
0: Okay, so I heard somebody talking And I I haven't really read into it more But they're saying that there might not be an opening crawl On Rogue One, have you heard that?
2: I have not heard that Okay,
0: I heard, apparently it was I don't know if it's true or not so who knows? I don't know or why
2: me. they wouldn't. That seems like a strange thing to say, no, only the episode movies right. get it, the crawl, you know?
0: Well, somebody was like, well, it's a movie based
2: off the crawl, so. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be, I mean, it's different. It's going to be different in many respects, you know? Really? I mean, there's not an out-and-out out Jedi, you know? I mean, several of the characters look like they have... Force sensitivity, but there's no Jedi. You know, we haven't seen any sort of like big lightsaber duels or battles or right. anything. There's no John Williams. You know, it's he's not composing it. I would, ha- I imagine that the main theme is still going to figure yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that the movie is still going to open with that big blare and, tr- mm-hmm. and the and the theme. Um, but this will be the first Star Wars movie without John Williams' music. So that's something that's going to be very different. Um it looks awesome. Like Mm -hmm. I, my hopes are really high for it. Like I'm, I think think it looks really, really good. Every preview we got, every trailer we got just looked better and better. Um, and what was interesting is I think we mentioned this before is that every trail, I think what were the, there was the teaser and then two real trailers, I think is what there was. Each one made the movie look very different. Each one made it look like three very different movies. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what is what the final movie actually is, and it would be also really cool to have Gary Widow back on the show to yes, see how much of his original how much of his original story was in the final movie because yep. he just wrote the first draft, which you know I mean it was a, it was a draft of the movie but then you know other people came in after him and rewrote parts of it so man that must it'll be such
0: be- a unique position to be in as a writer like you write the first yeah. draft and you have no idea what's going to make the cut and what is isn't. i yeah. <laughs> must be all i'd love to talk to him it gotta be frustrating I mean, oh yeah too. yeah for sure yeah. but we have a guy that knows everything that's going to be <laughs> happening in the movie today uh, we, which is pretty cool but uh we try to get it out of them but i don't know i don't we'll see if we can <laughs> yeah, it, it seemed
2: like he has some experience not leaking spoilers and, yeah. and dropping secrets. I don't yeah. know where that would have come from. But yeah, today we're talking to Pablo Hidalgo. Um, and if you know anything about the, the, the secrecy behind Star Wars, um, you've likely heard of the story group. If you listen to our interview with Leland Chi, um, the keeper of the holocron, we also touched a little bit in that chat about um, the story group which is what they call it now after um disney after the disney purchase they call it it's the lucasfilm story group so essentially in a nutshell what they do is um they make sure that there's no contradictions they make sure that there's no overlap and that um they provide uh guidance and, and help for everybody who's telling their own stories whether it's in films or the animated show or or in novels or in comics, they're sort of they're the puppet masters. You know, they hold the strings that keep keep the canon together Um, on top of lots of other stuff that most people don't really realize. Um, But uh, Pablo is probably the most public face just Mm -hmm. because of uh, he he he's very active on Twitter. He's very he engages with fans a lot. So like if you if you poke him on Twitter and say something to him, odds are he'll probably write you back. And he's also um, a, the public face for the story group at a lot of the conventions. So if you go to like Star Wars Celebration or Comic-Con or um, D23, if they have a Star Wars presence, you know, he'll he'll be there for that. So um, we talk a lot on this. We, we don't we don't it's, it's not like 45 minutes of us trying to squeeze spoilers out of it. <laughs> you know, we're, we're smarter than that. But uh, we do our best.
0: It's, yeah, it's exactly. 40 minutes of us going, come on, come
2: on. <laughs> just give us something please then we just start begging yeah exactly
0: every question gets roundabout back to will you give us a spoiler (laughs) (laughs) no it was a fantastic interview and you get a little insight you know he goes into it as much as he can about what his job is and and what they do and that type of thing there's a lot of secrecy around it as you can imagine you know in a billion dollar industry it's hard to you know (laughs) you don't want to be the one dishing the you know the yeah. se- the secrets. <laughs> you don't want exactly. to be that guy. Exactly. So we're gonna go play that interview for you right now, and you know this is gonna it's gonna be so much fun. If you're a Star Wars fan, you're gonna love it. Here you go.
2: First of all, thank you so much, Pablo, for taking the time to chat. It's an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to have you here.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Uh,
2: I know you've probably answered this a thousand times, but briefly, how did you originally come to work for Lucasfilm?
1: Oh, uh, well well, I had applied on the internet just like anyone would do uh, when a <laughs> job came and opened up in their internet group. So they were looking for a writer for StarWars.com, and that's how I got my start there, basically. Um, I was one of the – we had two writers on staff to start off with way back in 2000 for StarWars.com, and um, I eventually worked my way through the company, and and am now in, in their story development group. Yeah,
2: it's amazing. It's, it's one of those stories that you, you think that, like, Oh, you must have come from, you know, when you see somebody in a, in a position that many fans feel is like the quote unquote dream job, you think like, oh, they, they you know, I, how do I get that job? And when you hear that, it's just like, oh, he just he, he, he applied and he put in the years and he did the work. It's sort yeah. of, like, oh, oh, really?
1: That's what I have to do. I have to work hard <laughs> at
0: this. <Why>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I do consider myself quite fortunate, but it's not as if the job came prepackaged. At exactly. My, at my doorstep one day.
2: Um, I mean, you mentioned the story group, which is where you work now. I mean, at its core, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but your job is dealing with uh, the minutia of a sci-fi universe and making sure that all the puzzle pieces fit for all the stories that are being told. Is that a fair
1: assessment? That is definitely part of it. And it's probably the most public part of it because it's the area where I could at least talk about some of it. But, you know, really, it's 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 uh, all of us in the story group. We're all here to basically help creatives um find the story that they're trying to tell in star wars so and sometimes uh that means feedback regarding continuity sometimes that just means feedback based on how we think the story is is shaping up so um it's it's pretty multifaceted but i know the the area of continuity is the area that probably interests fans the most
2: yeah i mean to have that kind of a job though and to to be focused on what you are focused on every day i mean you have to be Really attentive to details, um, details in storytelling, details in in stories that have been told, and like I said, you know how how different media fit together. So you know something that's being told here in a book, um, you know, needs to agree with, match up with, and be sort of feel at, at home in the same galaxy with you know that show that's being that's on TV over there. Right. Um, are, are you obsessed with details and, and backstories of characters in, in general or is really is it just like Star Wars is, is where it's at?
1: Um, I have a good memory for it in general. And when I become interested in a particular fictional universe, I do tend to uh, retain that kind of information. Yeah. Uh, so I, it's just kind of the way I'm wired.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, but for Star Wars, the way it tends to work really well with Star Wars is... Uh, I've always been interested in Star Wars as a setting, and so it's really about, in my mind, remembering what the layout of that setting is, and and uh, sometimes that means chronologically, sometimes that means its history. Uh, you know, character details obviously are super important, but to me, uh, the world that they live in is just as important to keep track of.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, we had Leland on the show, and he touched on this a little bit, um, but how? As much as you can divulge, I mean, how collaborative is the story group? Do you all work together across media or does does each person sort of have their own specific domain of responsibilities? Like you're in charge of novels, you're in charge of comics, you're in charge of television, what what have you?
1: We're all I mean, we're all super collaborative and there are certain projects that we all touch, but we do have specialists as well. So some of us are are really more focused on the games. For instance, just because um, no one person can do it all, mm-hmm. and so uh, some per- some you know some people on our team do uh, take more of a point role in in uh, in that media. Whereas others are more focused on rebels and more, you know, like, for instance, uh, like Leland and I and Matt Martin are, are very much generalists. We try to cover as much as possible. But even between all of us, we tend to split off certain things. So, you know, Leland was was much more enmeshed into the uh, um, the the. Uh, the Freemaker show, right. whereas I was more enmeshed in the Rebels show. So there there are certain areas where just out of sheer logistics, we have to split things up. But we, we're always connected to each other and, and uh, we always check in quite regularly.
2: Yeah. You and Leland and Matt, um, thanks to social media, you guys are probably the most public members of the of the story group. But how big is it? If you can say
1: the story, it's it's we're about a dozen people okay. all told, you know, and um, uh, yeah, it's funny. We we do tend to get most of the attention, but I think that comes from Leland, Matt, and myself. We were all, you know, people in the fan community to begin with, so people definitely get a sense that they know us. Yeah. Um, and there are other people who play like super important roles in the story group, but because they didn't come from that fan community, they don't have that that public face of the degree that we do. So. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's you know I, I love being part of the fan community I love interacting with it but I, I hate to have people only think it's us three because it is <laughs> right. a, a larger team.
2: It is a much bigger group. I mean, do do you? It, it it's got to be a strange dynamic, like you said. People think that they know you. You know, they follow you on Twitter or what have you. They see you at you know the conventions, and they they think that you are talking to them. I mean, that's kind of like the the evil curse of social media is that you feel <laughs> like this this weird connection to celebrities or people that you have never met before, but you feel like you really know them. I mean, do, is that weird? Like when you actually do meet fans in person?
1: Usually, when I meet fans in person, it's it's totally fine. The people yeah. are are. Because usually. like it's it's like I'm that usually happens in a situation <laughs> that it's like a convention or I'm at celebration, yeah. and I'm caught up with the whole like, the environment and experience there. So it's it's you know it's all good. Um, the oddest thing is just you know I'll occasionally see, uh, you, you just you just become aware of how how micro the even most little statement. <laughs> becomes you know so it'll come back to me on social media like you know well you said this I'm like i don't recall ever saying that well, yeah. I don't even, i don't even know why i would say such a thing yeah and uh and then i have to think back like how could how could something i previously stated have been misconstrued to say that these two characters are related or that character <laughs> dies or that's like i don't i wouldn't have said these things you know it was so. funny
2: it it, re, it reminds me of, you know, like when Alan Greenspan, and this is a, such a weird analogy to make, but like when Alan Greenspan was chairman of the Fed and he would come out and he would make those statements. And people would pour over every word that he <laughs> said, you know, like, what did he mean by this? Or what did he mean by but? And it was like yeah. they read into it and it seems like it's the same thing with anything that you say, even like the most inconsequential tweet, there are still going to be fans out there who to be like, well, right. what did he really mean?
1: Well, and, and also just because of the way I use like Twitter, for instance, is like 80 percent of what I tweet is nonsense.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. And like. <laughs> (laughs) So all of a sudden, people have latched on like that tweet means something. It's like, well, what about the two tweets before that that were clearly nonsense? Well,
0: now that you brought up Twitter, we were we were going when we were doing research. We both were joking, like laughing about this. In your bio, you say two rules: don't pitch anything. Please don't ask me about the future. So how how often do people still go ahead and break the rules? They don't care.
1: Uh, the future stuff is all the time, all the time. I'll get like, so what happens in eight or does this happen in eight? (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) And also you really don't want to know. Like no, you don't. don't want to know what happens in the movie by some guy tweeting it to you a year before the movie <laughs> comes out. It's like this isn't the way you want to know these things. Uh, the odd thing too is like – so that will be like long-term future like you know, because like oh, these yeah. movies are, are years away or whatever. But then sometimes it will be like the Rebels episode that airs you know, in less than 24 <laughs> hours. Someone will ask me a question about it. Just wait. And watch like, um, it. Just wait. Yeah. Just wait twelve hours and see if the episode actually answers that question. So I mean, I get it. It's all—it's all coming from like you know intense interest in this thing. But right. you know, I, I'm not—I'm not here to to spill those particular beans.
0: Well, I can't—I <laughs> can't believe that people even want to know. Like the moment, you know, the Han Solo Kylo Ren moment. If if I had have seen that or known about it before I seen it, I don't—I don't know how I would have handled it. You know, it wouldn't have been as impactful. I don't know why people want to know. <laughs>
1: it's the old peeking at your christmas gifts before (laughs) you you know
2: (laughs) what i'm just just curious what is your earliest star wars memory
1: oh it's tough uh because the movie came out when i was three years old so i don't think i saw it in the theater right off the bat but you know it was obviously all over the world and it was um you couldn't escape it. So what I vividly remember is being with a bunch of older kids, and they were just sitting around like on in somebody's basement floor just drawing Star Wars stuff. Mm. And I seem to remember just trying to draw TIE Fighters back in the day. Nice. Uh, it's a super hazy memory. It's one of those things where, um, and I've said this before in other interviews, I don't remember Star Wars being all that special i was a kid because it was everywhere you know it yeah. was it was um i never knew a time when it wasn't a big deal so it was just like oh okay this is what you're into it was only until later when it kind of faded away that i realized how special it was
2: yeah yeah when we were kids it was like, You, it wasn't something you were a fan of it was just something that was there i mean of, exactly. of course of course you were gonna you know have the action figures or, or play with the toys or have the, the bed sheets or whatever like that wasn't a a mark of fandom that was just it was part of life at that point
1: it's being alive in the 70s. It was, yeah. exactly exactly <laughs>
2: yeah. um i know you have a deep history with the old the west end games uh, rpg you mm-hmm. were a player and then you were a writer for it um were you an rpg player before you fell into that game though
1: or was uh, yeah. that your first exposure it was. That's the first game I ran. Uh, okay. Oddly enough, the, my first game was not D and D. Everyone's first game is usually D and D, but mine wasn't for whatever reason. My my friends, the books that they had. Uh, the first thing that we played as a multiplayer uh, thing was Warhammer Fantasy. Okay. And then we also got into some of the Palladium stuff, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Robotech. And then Star Wars was one of the very first ones. And But I knew when Star Wars came out or when we got the book that I wanted to run that one. So yeah. it, it wasn't the first thing I played, but it was the first thing I ran. Before that, I used to uh, play um, these single-player game books called Fighting Fantasy that were available. They were briefly available in the States, but they really flourished in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, and Canada. And they were sort of like choose-your-own-adventures, but they had a backbone of a rule system. Yeah. I, got, so I roll a, dice and do combat i have a whole bookshelf of them right here beside me oh, i love those I love, I love those, books. those those are my absolute <laughs> i love those as a kid and I've been slowly buying back the collection i got rid of for yeah. some foolish reason <laughs> so yeah I've no been, I, i've been piecing it together
2: i'm a i'm a huge fan of choose your own adventure books game books of any kind i, I went <laughs> same thing whenever i see them like at a used bookstore i'll just grab them up and i love them i've been reading them to my kids and they love them too so oh, good stuff fantastic i mean do you
1: do you still play do you still do any rpg we uh, have a group here that's made up of mostly Lucasfilm people that we try to get together to, at least monthly to, pay, to play D and D, but it gets harder and harder to get us all together. But we we, we try to keep that going.
2: Yeah. So you play D and D? Yeah. Yeah. Have you played any of the fantasy? I mean, you. I mean, all that stuff probably comes through you. But have you played any of the fantasy? I've games? I have.
1: Yeah. I've I've played some demos, and uh, you know, Sam Witwer is a big gamer, and I yes. once. I, I went down to his place and we played a session. It was really fun. So, uh, yeah, if, again, if I had all the time in the world, I know exactly. I, probably, I I'd <laughs> spend it doing that, but um. yeah, it's,
2: it's funny. I was never, I mean, I was a huge nerdy kid, but I was never into the RPG stuff. Like, like I never had friends who were into D and D. And so that was not part of my like formative experience. <laughs> like I never mm-hmm. had that. And so I, recently um, with a few of the other geek dad contributors, we decided that we were going to start up a game and um, we, we started up a game of edge of the empire and oh, nice. it's it, me and one, I think there, there's like eight of us that are like kind of come in whenever we have availability. So it's usually like six to seven people in a game in and in, in a night in an evening. And it's, I've never played anything before. So this is my very first experience to
1: role-playing of any kind. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you have the right group of people, it could be really amazing. So, yeah, and even of, you know, if, if for whatever reason it doesn't work out, you're going to learn something from it too. So, absolutely! But, oh, it's yeah. so much fun! It's so much fun. I
2: mean, it can't be lost on you though that you're still acting as a game master. I mean, oh, totally. just on a much <laughs> gra- a much grander scale, and with getting paid for it and tons of resources.
1: Yeah, it's like I, I'll be asked. I'll be asked the oddest questions which will be the same questions that would have come from my players in a, in a game session like what does this device do it's like honestly i hadn't thought about it but if we need an answer here's what it does you know yeah so it's yeah. it's it's using the same kind of improvisational skills but uh having it be based on the logic that meshes in with the rest of the universe that's still going so it's it's pretty fun
2: yeah not many people can take what they you know, you fell in love with uh, with a, with a whatever a franchise or a story or a universe. You fell in love with that as a kid, and that's what you did. And now you are actually still basically doing the exact same thing and
1: getting paid for it. So yeah, you found you know, a way to make make your hobby a job. Exactly, you know? it's amazing. That's yeah. amazing.
2: You um, you you kind of touched on this, but you've been interacting with fans for a long time even before you had your current position. Um, and so I think you have a very unique perspective on this, especially with. Um, you know, coming from where you came from and now with, you know, Twitter and everything Mm -hmm. being in your face, do you think that fans have grown more entitled over the years? Like they're owed explanations. (laughs) I mean, do you get
1: frustrated? It it can be a little bit, but I don't think it's anything that's grown. I think it's just human nature in general. What what I found funny and, and, you know, you just kind of have to laugh at this because, um, that that sense tends to go away the second they're exposed to some sort of piece of content, and and so it's just a matter of of like uh, it's it's what's happening in their downtime, and it's coming out of anticipation and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I'm thinking back as we just recently rolled over the anniversary of the announcement of the acquisition of Lucas from Di- from Disney when the world found out that there was going to be more Star Wars movies, right? Yeah, right. And how quickly the the and the man pivoted from understanding that, wait, we're getting more Star Wars movies. Wait, we're getting one a year. OK, this is what I want them to be. So, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it shifted from not knowing this was ever a possibility to now only being happy if it meets certain criteria. <laughs> yeah. So um, but, you know, I get where that comes from. Uh, you know and and for the most part it's pretty benign but like it, there are you got a handful of people that get a little too aggressive or excited about certain things and you're like let's <laughs> let's keep it all in perspective folks you know <laughs> do you have any favorite fan theories right now <laughs> i tr- i try to avoid them because i right. I'd, I'd hate to think that i ever accidentally was quoting or inspired by one or something right, but course. um but yeah I, I, all i can think of is the ones from years past and 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 they all tend to be of of similar caliber. It's like one of the things you just have to ask yourself is, like, is this needlessly complicating the story when it could be something (laughs) far more easier, you know? Uh, I don't know if you guys know the – Website Clickhole, which is the Onion's oh, course, take yes, on BuzzFeed, yeah. they they posted this parody article, which is which really sums up a lot of my thoughts on on fan theories. Which was there's this amazing fan theory that all Pixar fans live in the same universe, <laughs> and it's like yeah, that's exactly it. You know, it's like you know, it just means nothing, but it's funny.
2: Yeah, there are some. I mean it's you do you read some of these theories and like you read them and you're like wow that's actually kind of convincing but did you need 20 pages to to, <laughs> to convince me of that like occam's razor like like you have so many like ifs and suppose this happened and potentially this could be the case and it's like you just completely made all of that up and like yeah. yeah if all of that were true okay that could maybe happen but i doubt that's really right. you know you you just put so much more thought into this
1: <laughs> was there's how. the one somebody somebody asked the coen others whether or not if they had heard this theory that uh donnie from the big lebowski was actually dead the whole time and he was uh-huh. just a figment of walter's imagination i'm like what does that add to the story at all you know right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like maybe but like you could come yeah. up with the exact same theory of any movie and say yeah. what if the main character is a robot and we don't know it's like yeah yeah i suppose that's possible <laughs> what does that true. add
2: how? How? Yeah, exactly. Why does it matter, right? And why does yeah. Why does that matter? It didn't, doesn't change anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, but so as a fan, though, I mean, you, 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 you are a huge fan, even though you, this is what you do with your job, mm-hmm. and you get paid for it. But do you ever get? Like, is there a, is there a part of you that's like ever feels bummed that you just you don't get to theorize with other fans on the Internet or you don't get to to watch sit, sit in a darkened theater and watch the film on opening night like everybody else and be surprised with what happens because you're so, so, so involved with everything throughout.
1: The, uh, the trade off more than makes up for it. I mean, yeah, um, as I, I've said before. For the, the What I get instead is I get multiple versions of that opening night because I get to experience the surprise when it's a story idea. And then I get to experience the surprise when I see how it's realized by a particular creative. And then I get to experience the surprise vicariously by sitting next to people who don't know what's coming when it happens. Mm, right. um, so, you, you know, it's a different experience. But at the same time, it's an absolute amazing experience. And I wouldn't give it up. Uh, the other thing, you know, you mentioned that I'm a fan, but like it's it's true. And what's different now is that uh, you you can say that more and more. Like we're all fans because everyone here is doing what they're doing because they were inspired in some way by what this company did years ago. Like we're now, this is the generation of people that were influenced by Star Wars making Star Wars, um, you know, and we're we're still uh, just a stone's throw away from. From people who were involved in the original, and and uh, and that's pretty amazing. So you have this collaborative, uh, this collaboration. You got folks like me and Dave Filoni and Leland and Curie Hart and and all these folks who saw Star Wars uh, when they were young and it inspired them. And the idea that we, you know, Dennis Mirren still works here, and we could talk to him about stuff and get his perspective. And he's like one of the original crew that first made yeah. it. So. So it's it's this really interesting time in history where it's a mix of uh, fans that are now stewarding it, but we are still very much influenced and, and can be inspired and and can contact uh, the original generation that made this stuff. Yeah,
2: it, you know, you, you talk about you just, you just mentioned all those names who are you know people who are still there and people who grew up with it. Um, and, and it's Star Wars has this ability to to really, I mean, just inspire super fandom that you just mm-hmm. don't see in many other franchises i mean maybe star trek has it um but i mean i'm just wondering what it is from your perspective like what do you think it is about star wars that inspires that that super fandom and those fans to to just spend hours creating these complicated scenarios and their theories for what they think because they need to know every bit of information (laughs) that they possibly can
1: well speaking from my perspective i mean what to me, one of the key things that makes it different is the fact that it doesn't all hinge on one character. So, you know, if you're a fan of Batman, you pretty much have to like Batman. You yeah. Know? Uh, but if you're a fan of Star Wars, if for whatever reason the lead character isn't the one that you're connecting to, there's someone in the supporting cast or some, some quality about it that will draw you to it. So it seems like it's a, it's a much bigger draw and it's harder to find. Uh, it's, it's harder to be left out. You know, Star Wars uh, is so diverse in terms of its themes and the types of characters that it has that it allows to have a very, very diverse uh, audience. You know, there are people who love the Jedi. There are people who love the Empire. There are people who love the underworld. There are people who love the droids, you know, or there are people who just love the music or who love the the set design. So it, the fact that it gets so much right uh, across all its facets is, I think, what's so welcoming about it. Yeah. What do you connect to? What Who do you love? Uh, Well, my favorite character growing up was R2-D2. Nice. (laughs) So I think there's just, I don't know what that says about me, but there's something uh, very appealing about that character design. So I imagine the aesthetic probably brought me in at a younger age. But um, one of the things that's really successful about Star Wars 2 is that it kind of, it grows with you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's levels to it that you don't, you may not get when you're a kid. You know, as a kid you get the fun, you get the funny characters, you get the sort of exotic, weird stuff that you've never seen before. But then as you get older you start finding about mythology and you start finding about different cultures and historic and and historical references and things like that. So it feels like you could legitimately study it and, and have it be um, a part of your life as you get older, where there may be some, some franchises that you grow out of because it was only largely intended to be something for kids. Star Wars was aimed for kids, but it had this extra, you know, uh, I want to say nutritional value. Like it, it was good for you. It wasn't just popcorn. Yeah.
2: I like that. That's apt. It's
1: very fitting. I like that. (laughs)
2: Um, I want to ask you about a couple things that, uh, are, you know, I guess you could call them quote unquote, the Holy grails, um, that are out there and that fans sometimes probably voc- more vocally to you than I see, but that they're clamoring to see. You know? mm-hmm. If you have the ability, whether you could share some insight into them. One of them is Star Wars Detours. And uh-huh. It's completed, sitting on a shelf somewhere by all accounts. Do you ever
1: think that, that will see the light of day? I I always caution when people say completed because this stuff is never done until it right. actually gets out. You know, As far ahead as we are in our content There's always the capacity to make changes as it's heading out the door. So completed is never that accurate a statement for anything that hasn't been made public yet. Uh, uh, As to whether or not uh, it'll ever get out there, I don't know. I mean that's not really my call. But I could imagine a scenario where it it has this sort of targeted debut in a place that would welcome it quite well, like at a celebration or things like that. Um, I, I think it would be interesting to test the appetite of fandom for this kind of content in a place like this, like we did back at Celebration Six when we first showed pieces of it. Um, so I don't know. That that's sort of my thought about it. But right now, it's it's not the kind of storytelling we're doing at the moment, since you know that that future of us doing getting back into uh, major theatrical production wasn't a reality at the time that that show was made. Right. But. Um, you know, we've we've proven that there's an appetite for Star Wars, so yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. If, who knows?
2: It seems, from what I know of of the show, it seems like it could find a very nice home on Netflix. I'm just saying, mm. just saying. Okay. okay? Right. <laughs> Likewise, um, I know why this is this might not go public in the near future, if ever. But I have to ask anyway. Um, G- George's original concept for the sequel trilogy. Do mm-hmm. you think that? we as the public do you think we'll ever know what he had planned uh
1: well i think we could probably be more open as to what that content was perhaps when this trilogy is over okay because um it's sort of like imagine if you had read or it's sort of like reading that original 13 page journal of the wills treatment Mm-hmm. Um you get more out of it having seen where Star Wars actually went and then you yeah. recognize certain pieces I'm like, oh okay, I see so these wookies became the ewoks and that kind of stuff so yeah. uh, I think it's it's looking into that early mm-hmm. development work is is best served when you're actually done the story where yeah. that you started off with
2: yeah, like the uh Dark Horse the Dark Horse comic series the Star Wars where they went back yeah. to the original screenplay and they did that and you know we had the benefit of 30 years of living with the film to know what it was to see like oh this is what it could have been or this is what it started out as and you could see the seeds of what it became
1: but um, yeah but the, the difference there is they you know George had actually written a full screenplay for that so it was yeah. easier to adapt the sure. the starting point for this trilogy is really just a, a rough treatment
2: yeah hmm Okay, I know you can't say more. (laughs) Um, On top of everything else that you do there in the story group and and contributing to all the different, uh, you know, like rebels that you were saying and everything else that you do, you've written a number of books. Mm -hmm. Um, You've done the visual dictionaries, you did the new propaganda book, um, you've done a bunch of different things. Do you find writing them to be a different type of creative outlet for you than what you do on a day to day basis with the story group?
1: It's similar. It's it's just um, it's a lot of the similar thinking, but it's it's ultimately crafting the words to be much more, uh, you know, ultimately presentable and bringing it to the end, kind of thing. Whereas a lot of the stuff that I do on a day to day tends to be more editorial and and added adding seasoning or notes to something that someone else has made. Right. But this is more generated from idea to draft to finish. So yeah. it gives you a, and also it gives you a nice sense of completion when a book is done. Whereas everything yeah. else here is just something that just keeps moving Continuing, forward. You know? Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, those DK books, though, you pack so much information into them. Um, I mean, DK, DK is is kind of known for the you know the visual sumptuousness of their books. I mean, they're they're gorgeously illustrated with photographs and, and, and illustrations. But the words that you add, I mean, you you throw so much information that that's not included in the films. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. how many of those details actually came up in discussions during development, and how many did you just sort of make up while you were writing?
1: It's always a mix. Um, What's and this is gonna the Rogue One's gonna books coming out in December as well, and so it, it follows. Uh, a similar process as with uh, the force awakens because i was exposed to all the previous drafts of the movie as it came together and i know what some of the ideas and intents were behind things that ultimately either gets shortened or cut out altogether i'm able to salvage some of that material and present it in its proper context um likewise I have contact with some of the folks behind the scenes so I could ask them, what were you thinking when you created this alien or what I know what went into the creation of that wardrobe or went into that creation of that set. So I try to be as authentic as possible. What I, you know, the the lesson learned from the past is uh, and this really couldn't have been avoided, because back in the day when details were filled out on the original trilogy, they were often filled out by people who simply didn't have access to that firsthand information because it wasn't chronicled or those people who had created it had moved on. So we end up with weird we ended up with weird situations where, you know the the Tonica sisters uh, were stated to be identical when they weren't, you know, yeah. And and had someone really had access to the kind of information that we have access to now, that mistake wouldn't have been done. You know, yeah. so it's it's that kind of stuff. It's it's being able to witness the genesis of these movies really helps inform these uh, guidebooks and make sure that we're we're being as authentic to the intent as possible.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean the books, like I said, they're gorgeous, but they're just so much fun to read too because you just like you just pack it all in, and it's like these details that never would have worked in a movie because they're just they're random, you know. The random details about characters that you just couldn't have shoehorned into a script, but they're just—they're just so much fun. They really fill out the universe, and it's just—they're just a joy to read.
1: Yeah, you, you take the character of Lor Santeca on screen. There's nothing that really tells you that he has a religious background, right? But that was his character on paper before he got, you know, uh, shaped into what's ultimately on the screen. So I made sure to to have this background about the Church of the Force and and his particular faith. In the visual dictionary, even though it isn't really on the surface on the screen. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's amazing. Um, do you ever get tired of talking and thinking about Star Wars? Like, do you ever <laughs> do you ever just wake up in the morning and just think like, ah, screw it, I'm going to be an accountant?
1: <laughs> no, no, I can't say that ever crossed my mind.
2: No, Maybe it's, not it's, an accountant, but
1: something. <laughs> no, it's 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 a good thing I like this stuff because it does yeah. tend to take over your life uh, in this capacity. But it's yeah. it's amazing. I mean. When in a creative environment, you know, anyone who does anything creative is ultimately seeking an audience. And we get this blessing that the whole world is interested in what we do. And that's a uh, it's a blessing. And it's also a big responsibility uh, because this means so much to so many people. So you have to make sure that your instincts are true and you're doing what is best for Star Wars and what's best for the story. And and uh, and hopefully the audience just comes with you as you as you continue this journey.
2: Yeah. With that in mind, let's, let's let's take it out with. If you could say one thing to every Star Wars fan, what would you want? To, what would you want to say?
1: Uh, that right now is probably the most exciting time we've ever had with Star Wars. It has the potential to go on forever. We've always said that, but now it feels like we're absolutely realizing that potential. And the fact that it's opening up to all sorts of new audiences, I'm I'm so glad that we're able to share it. And that fans are able to share it um, not only amongst themselves but all with all the new fans that are coming aboard. I think that's super important for the longevity of Star Wars. Absolutely,
2: I've got a five and a seven-year-old super fan in my two super fans of my house. So it's it's got the potential. It's going to keep going.
1: Oh, great! That's <laughs> it. Happy to hear that,
2: Pablo. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been an absolute right. pleasure.
1: Great. Thanks for talking. I got
0: told by somebody that i shouldn't be using ending language in my youtube videos so what that means is don't start like talking like this is the end of the episode because people will click off right away so i'm gonna stop doing it on our podcast where i'm like well this is the lab. that's it for this week second i say that click people are gone so this isn't this isn't it for this week there's still (laughs) podcasts left
2: (laughs) okay where are we going from here
0: we're going where are we going from here Jamie something cool that Pablo talked about was he first got hired uh, uh to write for starwars.com so that gave me hope for you maybe <laughs> maybe you will uh, get to you know not be in editing anymore publishing and you will get to move to San Francisco and join Lucasfilm on the storyboard
2: not going to lie and say <laughs> that the thought has not crossed my mind
0: <laughs> hey if it happened for Pablo you never know or Pablo That's right <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, and Leland had a had a similar story. He didn't start writing for the website, but he was just a fan, um, and sort of came in through an un un, un, like a non traditional channel. Um, And uh, yeah, Pablo the same way. He just started writing for the for the website, and back before it was, I mean, that was like in the infancy of the website when it was still very much like they used to have um, a lot of forums and Mm -hmm. interactive interactivity. Like a lot of that's gone away. It's mostly just blog now you know it's right. like they, they post a lot of news and stories and things like that but there there really isn't the the forum and the fan interaction that there used to be um but yeah i'm not gonna lie you know i thought <laughs> the same thing when he said that yeah well
0: i mean why not right like i write for starwars.com <laughs> I do it's like check i got that box checked <laughs> exactly i will say though it would make our podcast a little more interesting because we probably wouldn't be allowed to talk about star wars anymore on them
2: yeah, I was gonna. I, w- I would say, like, on the one hand, yeah. think of, like, the awesome guests we could get. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, we couldn't really talk we about anything. We couldn't talk about yeah.
0: anything, because if, if people knew you were on the story group, every single thing you would say would be like, wait a second, what mm-hmm. did Jamie just say?
2: It's like when we asked Pablo, like, what, does he have any favorite fan theories? And he was yeah. basically like, yeah, I can't answer that. Because <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I say I have a favorite fan theory, like if I say I really enjoy that theory about Jar Jar Binks being a Sith Lord, people yeah. are going to take that as gospel and yeah. be
0: like, Jar Jar is a Sith Lord. Yeah. He confirmed. That's, it's canon. It's, he knows it. It's going to happen. <laughs> so that was a, you know, oh, there, there's my microphone. Oh my oh. There's no editing for this podcast, even when my mic falls over so thank you guys so much for tuning in week after week if you enjoyed this episode please give us a, a, a like on facebook uh <laughs> subscribe follow, follow us. like uh, us yeah m- maybe there we'll go. make ruku depo Depot this week <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> oh we, you know we love you guys if you're listening
2: <laughs> how can people get in touch with us justin
0: <laughs> okay we will we will yeah we will move on. Um, you can find us on uh, Facebook at the GBB podcast and twitter.com slash the GBB podcast. And also on iTunes and any place you can get podcasts. Just search our podcast name. The longest yeah, if, the longest in the world.
2: <laughs> yeah, the longest podcast, in the, podcast name in the world. And if you want to give us a call, you can give us yes. a call at 301-825-5653. Leave us a message.
0: Leave us a message and we will play it. All right, guys. We will see you next time. Take care, take care, and have fun. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geek dad.